Hi, this is Pat from the Bridges team. Do you ever eat or drink more calories than your body needs? Do you ever feel you ought to exercise but don't do it? Do you ever know the right thing to do but stop short? If you answered yes to any of these questions, then you will know without a doubt that you are a citizen of the human race. We begin the new year looking into the next element in the Bridges DNA, renewal, with our eight-week series titled Life's Healing Choices. Listen in as Pastor Nate Glaze shares from Jesus' words how we can begin to shake loose from our hurts, habits, and hang-ups to live in freedom. Well, hey, I'm excited to be here, uh, whether you are or not, uh, because we get to continue on this series of life's healing choice, and it's been really great to hear people um, talking about what God is doing in their life through this this series, through through His Word, is He's pointing out brokenness in their life, right, and saying, "Hey, you don't need this anymore." And people are learning to admit their need. They're they're realizing that they need help from God, and God is the only one that can help us, right? Last week, we got to the place where we we talked about confession and and confessing our sins to God and to each other. And and this has been a a pretty powerful process. And I think this week really, in in my mind, is kind of the pinnacle of the series. This is where things kind of come together, and that's making choices. See, all of this comes down to, are we going to do something with this, right? Or are we just going to go, oh, man, I... It like had this cathartic feeling of realizing I had messed up and I had confessed my sins and now I can go on living my life exactly the way I lived it, right? That's not what this is about. This is about God renewing our life, transforming our life. And uh, the proverb for this, uh, for this week's um, message is, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. That's kind of a bizarre saying to me. I I've been thinking about it a lot this week. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. See, we all know what it feels like to be hungry, right? I know I have. Some of you guys probably remember about five years ago, I went from being big and tough, and I lost like 100 pounds, right, in a pretty short amount of time. And you would think that Big Nate would think about food a lot, right? Because when I was big, you know, you'd think that. But to be honest, I don't think I thought about food that much until I started losing weight, right? And some of you guys that have been on diets and know what this is like, it's, it was terrible. Like every day, like I woke up and all I thought about was what I was going to eat for that day. I was so hungry, right? And I was down to like 1,200 calories a day and like nothing but coffee and broccoli. You know, it was terrible. And, <laughs> and, uh, and I just remember, I remember going to bed at night just being hungry. And I remember like thinking through my next day, I'm like, oh, when I wake up, I'm going to just really drink a big cup of coffee, and I can't wait to eat a rice cake. And, you know, like, yeah, it was an exciting life for me at this period of time. And it totally consumed my thoughts. In fact, being hungry made it so that, that more or less I thought about food all the time. And I think about that in relation to this, prob- or to this um, beatitude. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. What Jesus is getting at is, if this becomes the hunger in your life, if this is what you go to bed thinking about, if this is what you wake up thinking about, if this is what just consumes your thought process, unlike physical hunger, 
where I wake up never being satisfied. This kind of hunger, hungering and thirst from righteousness, in fact, this is where you discover ultimate satisfaction. And that's what we want to look at today is how is it that we can hunger and thirst for righteousness? How is it that we can pursue these things in our life? And I think what it's going to remind us of this morning is that it requires making changes in our life. Because if we hunger and thirst for these things, we see the things in our lives that are broken and the things that need to be made new. And and to do that, we're going to look in Colossians chapter 3. And I think um, that this is one of the passages in Scripture that just really outlines so clearly what it means to make changes in our life, what it means to be transformed or be renewed. So if you want to open your Bibles, if you've got a Bible that's kind of in front of you there, um, it's probably on uh, page 984, that's Colossians chapter 3, and we're going to just go 1 to 17. And as we read this, I want you just to kind of be thinking about what does this say to making changes in our life, to, to being renewed? So we're going to start right there in verse 1. It says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things of earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. See, Paul is setting the scene here. He goes, I want you guys to remember this. Remember who your true identity is found in, that you are hidden in Christ, seated at the right hand of God. See, this becomes the underlying belief that makes change even possible, the, the, the correct perspective. But he keeps going. He says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with his practices, and you've put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge of the image of its creator. Here there is not Jew or Greek, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, with everything in your heart to God. And whatever you do in words or deeds, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, I know this is a, a lot, right? In fact, we could preach uh, an entire sermon series just on this passage because it's so rich. But today we're going to kind of take the 10,000 feet view of this. And um, I want us just to draw out five steps or five aspects of what I think God wants to bring about change or how he wants to bring about change in our life. And we're going to actually start at the end. See, Paul, he goes through and he lines out. He goes, these are the things you need to get rid of and these are the things that you need to embrace 
And when you're doing that, do it in this way. Set this foundation for your life. And I think um, it'd be helpful for us to start with those and really take what are some of the foundations, the pieces that we can put in our life that, that give us just this solid jumping pad for change, right? That we can really kind of anchor onto, that we can hold onto. And so we see these in kind of verse 16 and 17. And the first thing I see, Paul, and actually this is throughout this passage, throughout the entire book of Colossians, is that embrace invasive community. See, Paul is talking about teach one another, speak into one another's life, live life in such a way that you have this perfect harmony and unity in your lives. You are one body. See, what Paul is not talking about is just some superficial kind of community, right? A group of people, we get together on Sunday, hi, hi, how you doing? Maybe we connect some other time throughout the week. What he's talking about is this invasive type of community, this community that gets into each other's lives, that isn't comfortable staying kind of in the confines of like one little fenced off area, but that jumps out of that and gets into people's lives and go, hey, how are you really doing? Let's talk about what I see going on in your life. But this is a little bit of an extreme kind of community, probably something most of us are not actually that comfortable with. But if we want to see changes happen in our life, if we want to be made new, transformed, we've got to seek this kind of community. Now, I'm going to give you my recommendation for how to find this kind of community. This is deep stuff. It's really, really hard to do. You go up to somebody. Maybe I go up to Oscar. And I say this. This is hard. You've probably never heard these kind of things before. But, hey, will you be my friend? I mean, that's being kind of stupid, right? But seriously, I think part of embracing like invasive community, community that gets into each other's lives is going up to somebody and saying, listen, Oscar, we've been hanging out for a while. You and I are friends. I know what you do. I know, but let's really be friends. I want you to ask me deep questions. I want you to get to know me. If you see broken stuff in my life, I want you to tell me, you know, I don't want you to just let me walk on my life and just think everything's good. Let's, let's get to know each other. And I think that's the foundation for just us building community. It's us getting into each other's lives. We see that here. The other thing I want us to say is this community is not just based on our good advice for each other, right? This isn't just me going and giving uh, Oscar my best advice. The kind of community that we see talked about here is a community that's saturated in God's word, saturated in the Bible. See, he says, uh, let the word of God the Bible, dwelled richly in your life, admonishing each other, encouraging each other, teaching each other these things. And I think in order for that to happen, we've got to truly become saturated in God's word. So I was thinking about that the other day, kind of as a, um, uh, like a sponge, right? So this is a pretty dried sponge. Now imagine every Sunday, I took this sponge and I just kind of dropped it in the water and I pulled it out. And kind of wrung it out a little bit, and I set it on the counter. Uh, what do you think, like, how long would it take to dry out? Maybe a couple hours, you know, depending on the time of year, how dry it is outside. I imagine by, like, definitely by Monday morning, this would be a dried-out sponge, but probably by the afternoon, wouldn't you think? You know, but then maybe we go, okay, so that's, that's good. But maybe every day I just kind of quickly dip it in the water and set it on the counter, right? I mean, it would stay wet for a little bit, but it would dry out pretty quickly. And I think that's the same thing that happens sometimes with, with the Bible is we go, okay, we need to, to go to church on Sunday and maybe do a little bit of devotional. And we kind of dip it in here and then we set it on the counter and we go about our day. And letting the word of God richly dwell in our life, I think is this process of just 
kind of leaving our lives in it a little bit, right? It's letting it soak into our life. It's making it, it's coming to church on Sunday and hearing God's word taught and thinking about it. It's reading our Bibles every day and letting it process in our life. It's having conversations about it, saying, hey, here's what I read today. What do you think about that? It's, it's letting it roll around in your mind, letting it transform your, your thoughts. So we need to become saturated with God's word. Another thing I see here, and this is something actually I've been struggling with even this week, and it's letting worship become the soundtrack for our life. See, he says, I want you to teach each other, admonish each other, singing songs, uh, hymns, and spiritual songs to each other. Now, I'm not a very musical person. That's just not how I get going. If you look in my car, it's probably got talk radio on. Uh, I don't listen to any kind of music all that much. And over the years, God has really convicted me of this, that, that part of my worship, my giving thanks back to him, needs to come in the form of singing and song. And I come and I do that on Sunday, but oftentimes I just leave it there. And I think what, what Paul is talking about is letting this really kind of richly dwell in our lives, having these songs be on our minds, singing them out, and, and engaging him in musical worship. And even this week, actually, I've been making this conscious effort to, to listen to more worship music, to engage in this more, because it's something that doesn't come natural to me. But I think there's something incredible about artistic music and our heart, right? There's some, some way that, that music can kind of touch and, and speak into our life in a way that, that's a little bit unique. Think about it this way, right? Like, think about if you are with your spouse, okay, and you want to kind of set the mood for the night, you know what I mean? And what do you do? You turn on a little bit of music, maybe turn down the lights, get your kind of Barry Manilow or, you know, Boys to Men or Metallica, whatever you're into. I don't know, you know. And you realize that there's, there's this connection between music and kind of the, the words and the music and your actions. And in the same way, I think worship becomes kind of the mood music for transformation in our life. When we allow these songs, the words of these songs to kind of dwell and to rattle around our brain, it gives us a platform to make changes in our life. We'd be thinking about what God's done in our life and the changes that he wants to see in our life. So, so I think these things help kind of form a foundation for change making to happen in our life. Now let's jump up to the, the top of this passage here that we read. And uh, right off the go, we see Paul talking about having this heavenly perspective. He says, focus your mind on things that are above, realize your place in Christ. And I think we need to develop an upward perspective. See, this is a little bit different than just having a positive attitude. A positive attitude is cool, and it does a lot of things for you in life. But a positive attitude can actually just make you feel really good about being bad at something, right? I mean, we can still be really messed up people and think really well of ourselves, and that doesn't necessarily help us out. And what he's talking about here is realize your true identity. And what he says here in verses one through four are incredibly powerful. He says, if you are in Christ, if you are a follower of Jesus, then th your life is hidden in Jesus. And Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. That you will be resurrected with him. That you are made pure, not because you're such a good person, but because of what Jesus has done in your life. This is an incredible reality to think about. Our status has been changed because of Jesus. And we need to, to, to realize that because we go around living our lives without realizing that so often, right? We, we think of ourselves as just jacked up sinful people. 
And I even hear myself saying that a lot, right? And it's, sometimes I think I do it kind of to be humble, right? I go, oh, I'm just a sinful, terrible person just like everybody else. And there's truth to that. But I think it's missing an even deeper point. And that's if I'm a follower of Jesus and my life is found in Jesus, meaning when God looks at me, he sees me not as a sinner, but as a saint. And I might still do sinful things. I might still make sinful, horrible, evil choices, but that doesn't make me a sinner. Does that make sense? Those things are now foreign to me. Those things are outside of the norm for my life. That, is, that goes against my very nature when I do those things. Uh, imagine this, I like, say somebody gave me like a Louis Vuitton bag or some sort of fancy like purse, right? You know, I don't know, what, not purse, something a dude could feel comfortable wearing, whatever. <laughs> like a $10,000 bag, right? And like, I don't know what to do with this thing. So like I throw it in the back of my trunk and like when I go grocery shopping or something, I throw some groceries in there or maybe I use it for like my bike clothes, right? And I, I throw my bike clothes in there and you might look at that and go, well, that's weird, but does that change the fact of what that bag is? It doesn't, right? I mean, it's still a Louis Vuitton bag. It still has the name written on the side. The value is still in the bag, regardless of the purpose I use that bag for. Does that make sense? And I think the same thing, when we read this, we should be reminded as Christians, our value, our worth, our purity, our relationship with God is not based on whether we've sinned or not today. Our value, our worth is found in who God sees us as. And that's us hidden in Christ Jesus. That in his eyes, we are holy and pure. We are saints so we can act like it. We can live up to that because that's what God has called us to be. That's who we, we actually are. And that's, that's safe, it's secure. So once we have a perspective, and I think it's really important, I think this is something that's not just uh, philosophical, right? This isn't just something that we go, oh, that's a really nice thought. That makes me feel good about myself. No, this is something that we can actively do every day. That when, we, when we're forced with these situations, when we're struggling, we need to remember what Christ has done in our life. This is critical for our, our spiritual transformation. We go, oh man, yeah, I've really screwed up, but, but man, this is how God sees me. This isn't, I don't need this stuff anymore because here's who I truly am. And once we've done that, he goes on, he says, because of that, he says, put to death, therefore, and he lists these five things. And these five things, I think, are things that keep us from worshiping God. So we need to declare war on things that keep us from worshiping God. And in verse five and six, we see these things. Um, I, I think this is interesting because this is an imperative. This is a command statement. He says, put to death. That means that, that the Bible, that God's word believes that these things can be put to death. They don't have a trap on our life. But listen to these things. These things are heavy stuff, right? It says sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, covetousness, right? These are things that, that run deep in all of our lives and are, are challenging. And he says, these things are all idolatry and they bring the wrath of God. I don't know about you, but that seems a little bit extreme sometimes, right? Like if I have passions, it's not talking about just passion, like I'm passionate about something, but this, this deep passion that actually pulls us away from God. You know, it feels like, really, the wrath of God is against me if I'm super passionate about something? Okay, well, what if I, I covet something? If I really like your car, does that, does that seem fair that God's wrath is against me? I'm not hurting anybody. 
That's the other thing about these li- this list is most of these lists you can do without really people seeing it very often. You know, and you might even be able to justify these things going, well, nobody else sees this in my life, so why is this a big deal? So let's use sexual immorality, for example. Like, let's say you're in a relationship and your spouse, you guys have kind of a, a look but don't touch policy, right? You know, and your spouse is okay with you lusting after other people and that you can justify that. You go, okay, that doesn't hurt our, our marriage at all. That's, that's cool. So then is it justified? Is it what God wants? And he says, no. Because the point here is it's idolatry, meaning it becomes this idol you worship and it messes up your relationship with God. See, this goes against kind of, I think, the common popular belief in our culture, which is, hey, if it doesn't hurt anybody else, then go for it, right? That's kind of how we think about it. If it's done with consenting adults, right on. If it, if it makes sense for you, if it, you know, it doesn't hurt you or anything, then do it. If you know, coveting helps you get a good job and really work hard, then that's good. And if you got these passions, but those really help motivate you in life, then those things are good. But God's saying, no, no. Because these things actually keep you from worshiping me fully. And, and I think the, the call here is extreme. It says, put to death these things. Don't play around with these things. Don't, don't think that these things are okay and you can just kind of do them here and then leave them. No, these things need to be addressed seriously in your life, violently. Declare war on anything in your life that keeps you from worshiping me fully. These things aren't just social or psychological issues. These are, these are spiritual issues that, that we need to, to address that damage our life. So he goes on. He, so he talks about these five things that really keep us from worshiping God fully. And then he goes into this other list of things. He says here, he says, but now you must put, away, put all away anger, Wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you've put off the old self and his practices. And he goes on to talking about what the new self is. And what I think this reminds us of is we need to, to seriously look at our lives and dig up the roots of sin that hurts other people. Making changes forces us to seriously consider how we treat other people, and not just how we treat other people, not just the outward actions, but the deep roots that cause us to, to hurt and to treat other people poorly. See, it's interesting to me because some of these things, um, <clears throat> just like the other list that he gave, happen kind of below the surface, right? And they're not necessarily the actions that are hurtful to other people, but they're the roots that cause those actions. I got this big, or had this big tree in my backyard, and this tree is, was huge, and it was kind of on my back fence, and it, it was terrible. I hated this tree, and it would set off all these you know, little feeder trees all over my yard. And and by the time I would notice like a little tree branch coming up, you know, out of the ground, I would go to dig that thing up and there would be this massive root network underneath this tree. And I actually had like, I have a pickaxe that I keep in my backyard that I go and I dig up these these root balls with because it's the only way to get them out of my yard. And you can see them all over my neighborhood. And what happens is they'll grow up like between fence boards and as they grow up, they'll just break fences apart. Or they'll even grow up like in foundations of houses. I've seen where they grow up along the foundation. They'll actually crack the foundations of the house. And before you know it, this little tree has caused incredible damage. And I think that's, that's what this list is. It's anger, it's wrath, it's malice, it's slander, it's obscene talk. Sometimes these things can run right under the surface in our life. We do them and we don't really think much about them 
But when they start to sprout in our life, they can destroy our relationships. They tear us apart from each other. They're hurtful. They're painful. They're ugly. Paul says, hey, I know you guys think you need these things. I know you think they're important, that they just help you survive in this world. And maybe they used to, but they don't anymore. Because remember, you are found in Jesus. You are new. You are a saint. You don't need these things anymore. Get rid of them. And this is a hard process. If we were to seriously look at our life and go, man, yeah, I really do struggle with maliceness. Just, I'm hateful sometimes. I've just got these, I'm, I'm terrible. I don't forgive other people. And get rid of those things. I had a friend um, who grew up in Rhodesia, which is now Zimbabwe. And she was there during the Civil War, the liberation. And um, she talks about how she was a single parent at the time. And she taught her like 12-year-old daughter how to, to use a machine gun. Okay? And her daughter used to sit in the passenger seat of the car. And whenever they went grocery shopping, her daughter would just sit there with the machine gun as they would drive for, for protection. Now, imagine that family moves here to Fremont, but they decide to keep that tradition alive, right? And, and you see them heading down to the hub with a, like an AK-47 across their lap and this little 12-year-old girl going, hi, you know. You would say, what are you doing? It's dangerous. Put away the gun. You don't need that anymore. Maybe you used to need that. Maybe in your old life, that was important to you, but you do not need that anymore. And I think it's the same thing when we as Christians hold on to these things. We go, yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus. Yeah, I, I know I need to be loving and caring and compassionate, but oh, I just hate that person. That person is terrible. If you knew what that person did to me, if you knew how terrible that person is, you would hate them too. And Jesus is saying, you don't need that anymore. That's, that's the old you. That's the way you used to be. Your status has been updated. You're made new. That Get rid of that. And that's a process of us digging those things up, looking at those things, evaluating those things, and getting rid of those things. But you know what I think is beautiful about this? Is that this isn't just a process of getting rid of bad things. Right? The, the late life's healing choices is not just about getting rid of hurts, habits, and hang-ups, or whatever the H's are in there. Right? It's about being renewed. It's about being made new in Jesus. And part of that process is digging up, is killing off these evil things in our life. But the more important part of that process is embracing this new life that God has called us to. This passage tells us that we are to be renewed in the knowledge after the image of our creator. This is a a weighty concept, to be renewed in the knowledge of the image of our creator. See, what what Paul is talking about here is the more we discover who Jesus is, who our creator is, the more we discover who God is and who he created us to be, this process of renewal happens. And I think that comes through all kinds of forms. I think it comes through reading our Bible through community like we talked about, through singing worship to him. I also think it comes through the process of digging out the old broken parts of our lives and it comes from embracing the life God has called us to. And when we do that, we discover more and more about who he is. But this doesn't let us off the hook, right? Sometimes I think we can get into this mindset that it's like, as Christians, we go, okay, it's all about the work of God in our life, so we can just sit back and let God do the work. Now, he, he says this. He says, take off the old and put on the new. This is a commandment. This is something we have to actively engage in. 
Now, this is the work of God. Don't get a big head to think we're such good, perfect people that we can do good things because that's not what he's getting at here. But what he's getting at here is you need to actively engage in this. He says, put on these things. And he talks about kindness, compassionate heart, humility, meekness, patience, this lifestyle of love for each other. This is, I think, a beautiful reality for us. It's a reality that reminds us... um, It reminds us that I don't have all my notes here. Uh, it's been one of those mornings, huh? It reminds us that what God has done in our life, he's calling us to, that we can engage in this, that we can live out this life that God has called us to, that we can actively embrace love, we can actively embrace humility and kindness, and we need to be pursuing these things in our life. And as this happens, we are being renewed in the knowledge of our creator. We are being transformed we are being made new. And this is, this is a powerful truth for our life. And what's so beautiful about this is as sin, you see in the, the previous things, the list of things that we need to get rid of, sin breaks our relationship apart. We've all been in relationships with people that are hateful and malice and angry, and we know what that does to a relationship. Yet what he's saying here is when we brace these things, this love that brings us together in perfect unity We discover how to forgive each other. It brings us back into the relationship that God intended us to. So much so that you see here in verse um, 11, it says, There is no Jew or Greek, circumcised or uncircumcised, barian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. See, this is the hope of our world. We live in a world that is broken right now. Right? It doesn't take very long to look at the news and to see all the, the strife and hurting within our country, um, all the, the racial and social tensions that are out there, the, the geopolitical issues, the religious issues that are at play. And I look at this passage and I think, okay, how do I live in this broken world where it seems like everybody's kind of fighting against everybody? How can I embrace this love that brings us together in such beautiful unity that reflects who Christ is, and who Christ is destroys these boundaries, these things that pull us apart, that separate us from each other and cause us to to embrace a relationship with him. So we've we've kind of talked through these things, right? We've we've talked about the things that we need to get rid of and these things that we need to embrace in our life. And this is a process. There's a lot of things... We've talked about, and I think it's important that sometimes we take these, these elements kind of one by one, right? Because if you try to do all of them, it can be, can be overwhelming. Yet it's also important to realize that this is not a one-off deal. These, you can't just do one of these things. We have to pursue all of these things in our life. But maybe today, kind of the question that we can kind of leave is if God is calling us to make changes in our life, what's the one thing that we need to get rid of? Maybe there's some issues in our life that are keeping us from fully worshiping God. Maybe it's an issue with sexual immorality, or maybe it's an issue with covetousness or just impure passions. Or maybe it's an issue of just something that's destroying your relationships with others. Maybe it's hatred or anger. What what is it God's calling you to, to change? And then what is God calling us to embrace this week? Okay. What is God calling us to, to put our, to go after, to pursue? Is it humility, meekness, patience, forgiveness, 
this perfect love. As we kind of close up here in prayer, I want us to just um, maybe just spend some time. Maybe we're not ready to make that decision yet. But ask God, say, God, what do you want to see changed in my life? If I'm going to be renewed into your image, what things need to go and what things should I be embracing? Let's pray together. God, we, um, we are just so overwhelmed with who you are and the work that you've done in our life. I praise you that you are, you are holy and that because of your work that we can be found in you, that we are no longer sinners, but that we are now saints, that our old practices, our evilness, our sinfulness, that it's been done away with, that we don't need it anymore, and instead we can embrace this lifestyle that you've called us to. God, I pray that as we process these things, as we think through our own lives, as we do some kind of self-reflection, that your spirit guides deeply in our life, that it points out the areas that that are broken, but it also points out the areas that, that you are calling us to pursue. So God, we love you and we praise you. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Bridges Community Church Sermon Podcast. Bridges Community Church is located in the San Francisco Bay Area in Fremont, California. For more information on Bridges Community Church, please check out our website at www.bridgescc.org.